Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation with two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and the world of pop culture. So we decided to combine the two. I'm Kara Kirby. And I'm Virginia Martinez. We work with organizations all over the world to inspire and implement people-first practices. We're here to talk about navigating the workplace, and we do it through the lens of great television. Our first two seasons are dedicated to Ted Lasso. Join us as we unpack the leadership lessons in each episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Pop on Leadership, everyone. We are winding down season two of Ted Lasso right now, which is a little bit exciting, a little bit bittersweet, exciting because we are having season three about to launch, which it's been a long time coming. So we're really excited about the launch of season three, and we're going to have a lot of fun with everybody whenever we're debriefing those episodes. More to come. So we are in episode 11. This is the Midnight Train of Royston. And what we see here is a few different things going on. First, Sam is having an era. He is having his bad B moment right now. So he scores a hat trick. The team is doing great. The vibes are up on the team. And Sam especially is having a moment. Um, We also see something going on with Keely. So Vanity Fair contacts her and wants to do a feature on her. So Keely's also having a moment. Another thing that happens in this episode is that we have another character come in that wants to bring Sam to Africa to start a new soccer team. So he's a big personality. We'll talk a lot about big personalities and how not to get swept up in that sometimes and how they can be so enticing. And then they also, the other plot line that we have is Dr. Sharon is leaving. So Ted's Ted has a hard time with this because she meant so much to him. So we'll also talk about goodbyes and, and what that means for Dr. Sharon to be leaving the show. So, Virginia, where would you like us yeah. to start today? What is top of mind for you, my friend? Oh, I 100%. There's so much to talk about, but I want to start with the Edwin Okufu character who I <laughs> adore. Really? I, I love, yeah. I, well, I love, I, love, I love that actor, Sam Richardson. He was mm. so funny in the show Veep. I don't know if anyone watched that or you It's He was... <laughs> You played a character named Richard Splat or Splat. I don't know. It's just like the, the name captured his personality perfectly. Um, he's hilarious. And so him doing this role, I, I just thought was, I mean, Edwin Okufu is essentially um, the son of a billionaire and he, his father passed. So now he has inherited billions overnight and he is, um, a from from Ghana so he's a Ghanaian billionaire and like Kara mentioned he's really eager now to put his money back into Africa including starting um, a football team and he's trying to lure Sam away but just that character is hilarious he doesn't shake hands he brings along someone who shakes hands for him (laughs) he lands his helicopter in the middle of the field he's outrageous Um, outrageous he was like hey Sam want to go to the museum and lunch and because he doesn't want to be around commoners he actually bought out the British Museum and and had a and then had actors walk around <laughs> so that he could just technically have the museum to himself for a day and then he had a restaurant built to serve Nigerian food i mean like so it's it's just, extravagant it's a lot. ridiculous it's so absurd it's so funny at the same time and yet you know you, who 
does it remind you of, Kara? <laughs> well, I was saying that I felt like they were making an Elon Musk character in the show. Something that's so interesting I just noticed about myself, because I have a very hard time sometimes not getting wrapped up into TV shows. Like, so for instance, another show that's on right now is 1923, which is one of the prequels to Yellowstone. And I cannot watch that show. I mean, first of all, it's really hard for me now that I'm a mother to watch things that are really violent. But like there's multiple times in that show I just have to walk out of the room because I can't like not feel like I'm there. So the reason why I'm saying this, I know I probably should dig deeper into it. The reason why I'm saying this is with Edwin's character, like I dislike him so much that I forgot to acknowledge what wonderful acting it was like I do that all the time I'm like oh this character gives me the ick and then I forget that that's what that actor is supposed to be doing with the character that I just dislike him so you're like talking about I'm like that really is just outrageously wonderful comedic acting but I was too caught up in my emotions about the character yeah so funny yeah no because he did not give me the ick at all I just thought it was such a parody yeah such, so well done yeah so like comedic. most people should interpret that situation <laughs> i'm like what are you gonna do to see him <laughs> i was like what else is this guy gonna buy or sell or do <laughs> anyway edwin okufu sam richardson you did a great job it was hilarious um but yes he's not the greatest you can tell that his you're like, not well, I shouldn't say you can tell. We are unsure if his interest in Sam is sincere, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, and and at the same, I mean, it it is. There's a compelling part of it because he wants to say, yeah. we want to build this soccer team in Africa. And, yeah. and you have done so much with, you know, getting people motivated around causes and we want you to be a part of it. I mean, it's going to pull out your heartstrings. Yeah. But it's just, oh, he's just an outrageous character. I, by the way, as outrageous as he is, I got a real life story about someone doing the handshake thing. No. I swear. So I had a, tell me, I had a friend that went to go to a different tech company and she was, you know, hired to be a higher up. And when she met the CEO, he didn't shake her hand. So he was meeting her for the first time, didn't shake her hand. And she, you know, of course felt weird about it. And then she asked some of her new peers, she was like, what was that? Did I offend that guy? And they go, no, he doesn't shake people's hands because he thinks it's a power move. Oh, so wait, implying that he intentionally. Yeah. Oh, the power move is to not shake hands. Yeah. Can you imagine? What an idiot. Oh, I mean, yeah, I can't imagine. I know. I, mean, I know. We deal. It's, you know, <laughs> it's very weird. As Beard would say, it's weird. <laughs> you made it uncomfortable. Do better. It's personal. It's uncomfortable. Do better. Yes. Okay. That was Edwin Okufu. I definitely wanted to start there just because I think that he's so funny and has some of the funniest scenes all season. But what would you like to talk about? 
<laughs> so I think that my other favorite theme in this episode, I love Keely. Well, I mean, I love most people on the show, but Keely, Sam, Beard, those are my faves. So Keely is getting featured in the Vanity Fair and it's so sweet. And so the episode opens and she's sitting on the couch and she's so nervous about it. And Rebecca has this beautiful quote where she says, don't let fear get in the way of what you deserve. Right. So um, I just think that I think that that's a very normal thing is that whenever life starts, when it starts opening up and like good things happen to you, it's, it's really important to recognize that like those feelings aren't going to be elation. Sometimes there's a lot of fear that accompanies it. And so I think mm -hmm. that it'd just be nice for us to talk about, you know, our own experiences with that, like these moments where good things happen and how that can almost be that it can almost be more uncomfortable because it's out of this fight or flight, the survivalist mode, right? So when you move out mm -hmm. of like, move out of surviving and like good things happen, how do you deal with it? Like, how do you kind of adjust your mindset and not freak out that thing that you don't have to be in a survivalist mode anymore? That's a big mm -hmm. question. I'm springing on you. Yeah. I And I, I wonder if Keely in that moment was... Because she does have this conversation with Roy later on related to it that, you know, he's like, well, you've been in like a thousand photo shoots. He's like, yeah, but that's mm -hmm. like me selling vodka. It was about how, the way I look. This was about kind of like her brain and her abilities and her skills and talent beyond sort of what's on the surface. And so I wonder if um, she was having a little bit of imposter syndrome. I yeah. wonder, I, I, I think it was less for me, the way I interpret it, you, people are welcome to interpret it differently. It was less about, do, do I deserve this mm. or rather like, oh, are people going to call bullshit? Cause they're going to be like, you know, question, um, if she's actually that smart and strategic and creative because they've, they've gotten used to her only one way. But but don't you think that's the same thing? Yeah. No, no, of course. Yeah. Yes. But you're worried what other people are going to think. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just, I think that it comes along with it. Like even when things are going good in your life, like, is that you, like, you, like the worry is still there, I think is my main point. And I think, and I always say, I'm like, that's just what happens. That's what happens when things become good. And I think the same thing mm -hmm. happens in career. Like when you kind of stop fighting and you're like, oh, people just are okay with what I say and they think I'm smart and I can, I don't have to fight every day. I, I just, I, I think that that's what Keely's going through. I think it's, I think she's feeling that clunkiness of that weird human, I don't know, thing that we go through. Yeah, for sure. I, I think about you and I started um, our own consulting businesses mm -hmm. around the same time. And the, what you were just describing reminded me of that moment where I believed I was capable. I was ready for this moment. I, I wanted, um, everything that came with it, sort of the flexibility and freedom, um, but also to, to demonstrate to others what I could really do without the confines of being stuck in one role, mm -hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and have more say in how I show up. And yet, even as good things were happening and I got clients and people were reaching out or making introductions or work was coming my way. It was like, 
oh, are they just going to see me this one way? Mm. Or are they like, am I, I am, are they going to think I'm a fraud? And I was like, why, why do I, why do I think that? You know, like I, I can tell you here, I, I, I am confident in my skills <laughs> and my ability and what have I achieved. But yet every time I talk to a client, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, like, I hope I don't disappoint them. You know? Oh my gosh, I have the same feeling. I'm like, are they going to think I'm terrible, even though I've been doing this for so long? Uh, yeah, I don't know. what Where where is that rooted? We don't know, but I yeah, mean, I guess it's, we do know. It's just, I, I think that with success, there's still going to be those gunky feelings, like is the, is the bottom line of that. And I think in our head, sometimes we think when I get to this point, I'm going to feel confident and... I, everything is going to be a lot easier when I get to this place, whether it's financially, it's professionally, it's in relationships, but then you get there and, and there's still complicated feelings. I Do you think it's also because we just glamorize and glorify just like struggle, like everything has to be a struggle. And I'm not saying that you and I do not work hard, <laughs> that we do not have our challenges, that we have our long weeks or long days. But like when things come easy, you, they don't feel as deserving or you don't feel as deserving because you're like, we've, we've just, we have to, everything feels like you have to be a struggle. Like yeah, work so hard and it's like, we are working hard, but you don't, you know, you don't have to be dragged every day. <laughs> Wait, you don't? <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying, I'm I'm, I think I, at least that I'm no, no, no. But I think that's the part that I'm also learning. Like. Some of this stuff can come easy and that's okay. That's great. Yeah, no, I, I, I think about this all of the time. Um, Cause I think it's such a relatable thing is that whenever you, whenever you are in a good zone, it gets more uncomfortable. And, and if you've, and if you are one of the, someone that has been struggling your whole life, right? Like I've talked about this before, but like I grew up with a single mom. So I always had the mentality that I had to have perfect grades and, and I, and I had to do this and I was going to get to this college. I was going to do this. And only when I got to this point, was everything going to be okay? And I, I think in a way when you're hustling, it's also a way of numbing. So you don't have to sit with yourself if you're busy. You don't have to sit with yourself if you are not satisfied with where you are and you want to get to the future. Like you can ignore all of that if you are in a hustle culture because you don't have enough time to sit with yourself. When you sit with yourself and you're like, wait, am I, am I enough just as I am? Sometimes, you know, you th then you have to actually start feeling your feelings. And that's when life gets a little gunky again. <laughs> yeah. And I think you're describing Nate in some yeah. way, too, where he almost would prefer that the culture be a little grittier and mm -hmm. meaner and more hustle because it makes him uneasy in Ted's way of where things flow a little bit more and it's based on friendliness and it's like, well, let's see where this goes. And it's like sitting with ambiguity and it's the team's working hard. They're practicing. I'm not saying they're not hustling, but it's not a Like they're not, it's not like a mentally grinding environment. Yeah. And guys, yeah, he creates that for himself. Right. And I was going to say is that guys usually grow up with an example that that's the only way to be successful. And I think that women, I, I don't know, I think women don't 
they don't have themselves. We don't have ourselves figured out right now. Like we were, especially our generation, we were raised that like to be successful, you had to act like that. And now we're dismantling all that crap because we know scientifically it doesn't work, but it's, it's this, this unlearning phase. I think a lot of people are going through is really, really uncomfortable. And Nate totally personifies that. Like, like that quote, by the way, we almost named our podcast trees don't compete because we love this quote from beard so much in this episode, but he comes, so Nate comes in and he gives Ted an idea and Ted is like, yeah, I like that. And he kind of shrugs it off. And then Nate gets all mad and he's like, he's going to take my idea and take all the credit for it again and blah, blah, blah. And, and beard notices Nate's ego flaring up again and he and he's trying to give him a lesson about teamwork not directly like Nate needs it but he, and he and he has this quote where he says you know we used to think that trees would compete with each other for sunlight but it's different they actually work together so that they can survive as a socialist economy right not economy right? that's a Freudian slip they can as they can as an ecosystem, ecosystem. <laughs> And, and Nate's just like, can't hear it. He's just like, oh, whatever, because that's calm and it's different. And it's, I mean, that's how trees are effective, but Nate can't hear it. Okay. I have a couple of points on that. One. <laughs> this is going to be a one hour long podcast. <laughs> no, I hope not because I do know I'm like wrap up season two. I'm so sick of talking about Nate. But, oh, um, God, I know. But. Okay, I did not interpret Ted as shrugging him off. He's like, yeah, that's a good idea. We should try it. Like, he wasn't like, oh my god, Nate, let's put up a banner. You had an amazing idea. But, like, Ted was responding the way he would to Beard or Roy. And so that's the part where all this, like, oh, Nate doesn't feel like he's getting supported by Ted. Like, oh, okay, that's true. Nate may feel that way. But I don't think Ted is going out of his way to not no. show support. And so I don't think he just like shrug my interpretation, like well, he didn't shrug it off. The other thing that I just um, have issue with in that scene, not, not, I don't take issue with what you said, but that's when he's like, oh, he's just going to take credit for it again. It's like, actually, no one took credit for your idea last time. Everyone gave you credit. Everyone was tweeting about you. That's how you got the nickname the wonder kid because you didn't know it was wonderkind and you owned it you sat in that sunlight and no one was like oh it's a team effort they let you have it they let you have the spotlight because you knew you wanted it so much everyone let nate have that so for nate to be like oh he's just gonna take credit for it again i'm like do you have amnesia <laughs> do you what part of that how is ted telling you it's a good idea we should try it. I feel bad for Nate, but there's something that happens in his brain where all of a sudden he feels threatened. Like it's not a good enough response. Mm -hmm. What would have been better? I don't know. I think it's a culmination though. I think it's a culmination of it. I, so I think a lot of times whenever bad behavior happens, when it comes to leaders, it's not malicious. It's uninformed. So people, people don't know how to have the right conversations to help people move into leadership, right? I, I know I've talked about this a million times, but I don't think it's intentional. Like I, 
I don't, I personally do not think that Ted has been doing a good job developing Nate as a leader. He hasn't given him the education. He hasn't sat, they have not sat down and had one explicit conversation with him of Nate. Hey, here are the things that you're going to go through. These are really, really normal elements of human behavior when you're moving from an individual contributor to a leader of others. These are the things you need to be aware of in yourself. Here's some books to read. These are some things you might notice, right? Like the things we do every single day with organizations. No one's been explicit with them. They're just like, oh, he'll get it. And I think that that happens all the time in organizations. So I don't, I, I don't, Ted shrugged him off, but Ted didn't know he was shrugging him off. He's just treat, he's just thinking, ah, oh, Nate will get it. He, I just don't think people get it is all. Yeah. I, 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 Nate's an I asshole, what you're saying. but he needs some education. Yeah. <laughs> I will Two stand things by this till the right? day I die. <laughs> Two things. No, no, I agree. I think um, what's not clicking for me, what's clearly not clicking is what the why behind Ted's method, the yes. why behind Beard's method, the why behind Roy's method. And so he can't align himself to understand the, and if someone has sort of explained, like, hey, like, hey, before we go out on the field today, let me brief you on what I'm going to do and say to the team. And here's why. Mm -hmm. Then afterwards, debrief and say, did you notice that when I said that this is how they reacted? That's what I was going for. I was like, so I think when you're um, to your point, making the time to, to, to help people along and support them. I'm a big fan of the brief and debrief. Like if there's a big meeting coming up or something even if you bring someone along that's more junior to you or just learning or new to the organization and you're like, hey, just come to this meeting. You don't have to participate. I'll introduce you. Take the pressure off of you. Um, but let's, before we go and let me brief you on what it's all about. Yeah. Give you context so you feel comfortable and I'll give you a sense of what I'm trying to get out of this next meeting. And then let's debrief afterwards to see what you observed. So I'm I'm a big fan of that. This, I know you're going to have opinions about this. I think this is harder in hybrid when everyone's on Zoom, because then you're like, let's schedule a Zoom before the Zoom. Let's schedule a Zoom after the Zoom. <laughs> so it's not happening as organically as it used to. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to be remote. I think it's great. But <laughs> I'm not going to bite you today on this. <laughs> I think I just, my take on it, I'm I'm all for flexible work and I, I i'm not sort of pounding the table that people need to be back in an office but what i am saying is people are not taking the time to do all those um very informal teaching and mentoring moments yes because they see it as scheduling another zoom so it's just not happening yes i i fully agree with you that people have not adjusted their behaviors to an environment that needs an adjustment they're just doing the same things, but they're putting it online and that need, and that absolutely needs to change. That's what that's what's forcing people back into the office because they're not able to see they're not making changes and they're like, oh well, this doesn't work. So yeah. So anyways, yes, I love that. Okay. Do it. Just just talk about it, right? And I think that it could have gone a long way if someone would have even had one of those conversations like you just described with Nate and been like, hey buddy. You're going to feel imposter syndrome out the wazoo. You are going to try to revert back to leadership models that you have seen in your own life, i.e. your father. And you probably should go do some unpacking to say, was that ever effective on me? Did that ever work on me? If the answer is no, maybe you want to disrupt that pattern and not do it to other people. 
You're going to need to learn about feedback and how kindness and the way that you talk to people will influence the way that they work and the way that they engage with other people. These very simple conversations could have gone a long way with Nate and he wouldn't be just, you know, turning into the monster that we're going to, you know, that he keeps turning into. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think the team, in a way, didn't necessarily fail him on communicating the what. Maybe could have gone a little bit deeper on how, but the thing that they did not communicate to Nate was the why. Yeah, totally. And often you got to start there because that's the mindset part. Mm-hmm. Like clearly Nate has a very different mindset, right? He's always like, oh, well, these players should do what they're told because we're paying them. Or like he's mm-hmm. his mindset around me. how to interact and lead needs to shift. So even when he sees the what, the coaching on the field and the this and the calling that and the trading this and make, you know, talking to the players, he's not connecting it to the big sort of like thinking and beliefs that happen behind that. The ecosystem. Um, if anybody's yeah. in that state, by the way, um, or if you have people that are on your team, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, so I'm going to repeat it till I'm blue in the face, but a really easy book on this is called Leadership and Self-Deception. So there's a concept in there of an inward mindset, which is the world is all about me. I need to self-preserve. I need to be competitive, et cetera, et cetera, into you need to switch your mindset into being outward, which is how can I help the people around me be successful? And if I do that, that will garner my success. So I, a lot of these things do not happen overnight, but to Virginia's point of mindset is there's a lot of science that that has the most impact. So if you can help the people on their, your team change their mindset, it's a really great starting point so that they don't turn into a bunch of Nates. Because the thing is about Nate is that his behavior, I, as someone who's taught like almost a thousand people in leadership programs, I've seen it happen time and time and time and time and time and time again. And you, and you can help it. You can help your team not turning into Nates. Yes, totally agree. And if you might sometimes embarrassingly see a little bit of yourself in Nate, like I do, we talked about this in past episodes that I think the reason I really struggle with Nate is because I've, I've been him in some moments in my career, if you are starting to feel like they don't take me seriously, they're not listening to my mm. ideas, they're going to take credit for it, and you're not quite sure where it's coming from. I know it's really hard to do this, but if you can get into the habit of asking someone, can you tell me a little bit what's behind your decision? Mm, great. Because even if like your boss is like Ted, where they're not proactively offering you all the why and talking about the mindsets are probably not you can still <laughs> you can pull that information yeah. from them and so i know that helped me because i had to tell myself it's not personal it's not personal it's business so what is the business decision behind this i mean look sometimes it's personal let's be honest right like we don't all get along but often and more often than not it is a business decision based on the information that person has. And it's, and so what's probably happening is you don't have the full picture. So if you can get curious and say, can you tell me a little bit about what's behind that decision? Or can you tell me a little bit about why you're prioritizing this over that? Or can you tell me um, a little bit about sort of why, um, you know, you've divided the team to work on these work streams or like, just ask, ask. That's great. That is absolutely ask. 
And it helps to, I, I think, to your point too, I think it really helps to recognize that your boss might not have gone through leadership education. They might not know that they have Nate behaviors, right? Like for some reason, we have this idea in our head sometimes that we're going to get into a job and our boss is going to be our mentor and they're going to know everything and they're going to operate like a perfect leader. I, that's, that is so, that's so rarely the case. So if you yourself can just be like, I am a flawed human. I'm working with other flawed humans. My boss might make leadership mistakes every single day in their practice. So it's incumbent upon me to ask those questions, help lead them. It'll help your sanity times a million. Sometimes it's called managing up. Yes, that is what managing up is. One of those words we throw out there, but nobody knows what it means. So asking those questions, that's managing up. Um. While we're on the topic of Nate and bosses, (laughs) um, one of the things that happens in this episode is Nate is really tired of people referring to his suit. Oh, is that the suit that Ted got you? Right. It feels embarrassing. He doesn't like being it makes him feel like a little kid when he's a man and a grown up. Um, And I get that. And so he asks Keely for help to go suit shopping. And they have a conversation, don't they, Kara? <laughs> yes, they have a conversation. And and Nate is Nate's confiding in Keely. We see him open up for just a moment, a moment of vulnerability, and he asks her if if she ever wants to be the boss. And he ha- and we and this is a theme throughout this episode where he's like, "Do you ever want to be a boss?" So what we're seeing is Nate in himself saying, "I'm more competent than the people around me. Maybe I want to stop working with them, and I should be the one in charge." So that him and Keely have this really nice conversation about making that decision, and um and and Keely has this really wonderful quote where she goes, "Sometimes the scariest decisions are just a point where you need to go for it, right?" So because Keely is stepping into her boss era right now too, so I wanted to have a conversation about this decision to become a boss. And I want to give some context here because I think this is really important, especially from a female perspective, because what I see studying leadership out in the wild is that a lot of times women are reluctant to go into leadership roles because they do not identify with them because they have never seen examples of of women leaders around them or the women leaders around them are embodying these really masculine leadership behaviors. So there's this really messy reason why the most capable people, and we're talking about women here, are reluctant to go into leadership roles that I think that we can actually make a big difference with inside of our society. It will only lead to good things. But I want to have this discussion because I think this is really important, Virginia, because you've led teams. You are a boss. <laughs> I'm also a boss. So I want to I want to reflect back on that moment for you of when you made the decision that I'm going to be a boss. And, and yeah, just tell, please, if you don't mind, tell us a story. Well, that's very flattering that you think I made the original decision I want to be a boss. <laughs> other, than most re- other than the most recent career shift about two to three years ago where I wanted to be my own boss and start my own business, in the past, I never saw it as my decision to be a boss. I saw it very similar to Nate. I saw it less, um, I saw it as a reward. Mm. I saw it as like moving up the rungs. I saw it as... Um, Someone deciding, someone evaluating me and deciding I was ready. So someone else's decision. 
And um, I honestly, very early on in my career, I looked at it more as what will that role signal, sort of what meetings will allow me to be in, what decisions will it allow Mm. me to influence, who will be my peers, um, what sort of autonomy will I get, will I have more strategic and creative say. And I wasn't thinking about it at the time as a team leader. I knew that came with it. But I was thinking about it more as a title than an actual set of responsibilities because I was more concerned early on with like being recognized for my hard work. Mm. What evolved over time, and this is what what I don't think Nate fully understands, is um, all the things that come with that sort of the weight of managing conflict on the team, the weight of managing sort of how our decision is going to be made and sometimes when do you lean in to be the final decision maker and when don't you? When are you leading through times of everything's going great and leading through times of chaos? How do you truly take care of the mentorship and, and, and development of your people, right? That came later to me. <laughs> that wasn't originally on my radar when I thought about being a boss. And I'm, if I'm being very, very honest, Early in my career, it was for the same reasons. Like, they're incompetent. I could probably <laughs> do a better job. <laughs> but I would, I mean, and by the way, like, I recognize when I got to those positions, I'm like, oh, this is hard. <laughs> Yikes. Suck the life right out of you. <laughs> I was like, why was I so desperate to get this role or title? Jeez. But, um, you know, be careful what you wish for type of thing. But, yeah. I think the Enneagram 3 in you, too, was like, how far, how far, how, how far up can I go? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what's the next rung? What's the next rung? Yeah. Totally. What about you? My story was a little bit different. Um, I... I think with especially my personality is that I didn't, I didn't see, I didn't identify with leadership, which there's a lot of really interesting research around this, by the way, because that's one of the top reasons why people don't go into leadership because they don't identify with it for a number of reasons. And um, so I got, I I got my degree in organizational development at a young age. Like um, I was 23, I was freshly 23 year olds, years old when I started. I didn't know what I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I had to do a lot of research on leadership. And I remember writing my first essay, and it was like, How do you identify with leadership? And I didn't know what to write. I just was like, even though I had been like the captain of my track teams and I was, I was always like a party planner. Like I can get people rallied to do, I mean, we've heard my karaoke thing. Like I can rally human beings. Um, but like, I did like that for some, did not connect with me that that was a leadership quality. I was just like, I'm just a social person. This is just who I am. And then when I started learning about it and writing about it, I was like the way that I think about leadership is very, very different than what it actually is. And so anyways, when I was in corporate America and I did a lot of different things and I just kind of like, you know, I, I was given a team at a certain period of time, but it was, it was, it was different. Like I didn't learn. I learned everything about what I should be doing by writing classes and teaching them that by the time that I got into that role, I'm not saying I was perfect, but my perspective was very, very different. Like 
I had been studying it for like 10 years. So I like knew what motivated people, like how to have a feedback conversation. I had a lot of tools. I just hadn't put them in practice in my real life yet. I had just been teaching classes on it, but I really loved it. Like leading teams is one of my favorite things to do, Mm -hmm. even though it's hard because I think that you have this, the being able to influence someone's life, being able to see something in them and say, hey, you should go take these classes and this could be a really, really great career for you and seeing them just take hold of their life and blossom and and just even being able to be a little part of that is the most beautiful thing that I think you can be a part of when it comes to the working world. So um, it's definitely challenging, but it's, it was inside of corporate. It's my, it's my favorite thing to do is, is give people opportunities. Yeah, same. It eventually became my favorite part of the job. And I have a little anecdote as well, you know, going from being someone who was really obsessed with what's my title and how do others see me? Um, who are my peers? Am I being respected, etc. to then there was a moment um, when a couple of my peers, there's three of us out to dinner. And after a couple drinks, um, and we're the same level at this point, they start saying, well, um, so-and-so told me that I'm going to be up for promotion uh, coming up in December. And then the other one's like, me too. He basically promised me the role, the next title up, right? And they're both like, ha ha, yay. And I had not had that conversation. But what I thought to myself, and this is probably a little petty, but I also (laughs) mean it. No, I I mean, I can be a little petty. A little little petty mayonnaise. It's fine. We all can. Yeah. (laughs) A little petty label. Um, <laughs> but I was, of the three of us, and we had the same title, I was the only one with a team. I had three people, sometimes four, reporting to me at the time. This organization, even if they're not giving me the title, trusts me enough with these things that if I can just tell myself not to get wrapped <laughs> up in this that I I'm good. Cause I actually have the things that actually suggest leadership. You have a team, you're leading a team, you have a budget, you have all these things, you're managing, you know, costs and things of that nature. You're trusted with that. Um, so they kept going and going and going about yes and this, and I'm so excited. And then I'll get to go to this retreat and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you all good. I congratulations. I was like, as long as they keep giving me headcount and more budget, I'm good. <laughs> and they were like, you know, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> there you go. They were also being a little petty. They knew. They, were they being a little knew mate. that I was. No, they well, They knew I wasn't up for promotion and they were. Oh, and that's. I, I think they were. Yeah, they knew. So I let it go for as long as I could. And then I was like, whatever. Have at it. <laughs> okay. Our last our last little um, theme that we have to talk about today. Let me look at this. Um, I think the last thing that's important to talk about in the show is that Sharon leaves. So not a whole lot of content here, but Sharon leaves and she doesn't want to say goodbye. And so, yeah, we can talk about this for a couple of minutes. And I think that that's our last big theme out of this one. We've got a lot of juice coming up in season 12. I mean, episode 12. Yeah, absolutely. So um, very quickly, um, Ted had planned this big surprise going away thing for Dr. Sharon, where he has the entire team practice the choreography 
to NSYNC's Bye Bye Bye. <laughs> um, so cute. And like the coaching staff is take other than me is taking it very seriously. <laughs> they're like from the top. <laughs> they're like very into it. Um, but anyway, come to find out that Ted runs up to Dr. Sharon's office. Higgins is there, which is because it was originally his office and says, no, she's already left. And this really bothered him. So he <laughs> waits for her outside of her apartment, essentially. And it's really, I mean, it's sad and sweet. He's like, you don't, I thought we had a breakthrough. I thought we, she's like, we did, you know? And, and he's like, you don't get to abandon me. My wife left me. My dad left me. Like I, it really hurt Ted, right? Yeah. He had been super vulnerable with Dr. Sharon and, but I also thought it was really good that he expressed it. Yeah, that totally. He hasn't, he, that's different from him. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. By the way, if you have Enneagram sevens in your life, um, not saying goodbye to them is a very hurtful behavior. So don't do that. Just say bye. We need byes. <laughs> I used to have I used to have this really awesome director and he would never he would always ghost parties and I would yell at him for it. I was like, Eric, you mean a lot to me. When you leave and you don't say bye, it really hurts my feelings. You go, Kara, I just, you know, I don't like goodbye, so get over it. <laughs> I was like, you hurt my feelings. Um yeah, so no, I thought it was a sweet moment. I like that call out too, that it's like it shows growth in him, that he's actually telling her what he feels and like, you know, talking about something that's deep down in her. So yeah, it was good. But Sharon, Dr. Sharon is gone. I was thinking about she's almost like the Mar the the Mary Poppins of sports teams. Mm -hmm. Like she like flutters <laughs> in. <laughs> she has her umbrella, she has her bike, and she like comes in. She fixes things and she's like, okay, everyone's fixed here. Now I can go along my way. <laughs> Floats off. Yes, it was lovely. So we are, um, we've got one more episode left in season two. As Kara mentioned at the, uh, uh, when we kick this off, season three of Ted Lasso is around the corner. It premieres March 15th. Um, we are going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to tell you about that separately, but we are um, going to do things a little bit differently for season three. We're going to get you really excited. Um, it'll be good and more to come on that. So stay tuned. Um, in the meantime, Kara, do you want to tell them about your watch party in North Carolina? Uh, yeah. So uh, we'll see how the first one goes. We might have to take this on tour, but we are going to have a watch party at my friend's champagne bar that she just opened. That's called RBF. And it stands for exactly what you think it stands for. And so we are going to have a little bit of a live pop-on flavored speaking event and we're going to show some clips and talk about you know what lessons you can draw from them and then i'm gonna make some biscuits and pink boxes for everybody and i have mustaches prepared and so we have a group of people that are all going to watch ted lasso together for the for the premiere the watch party so i'm super excited about it and we'll include the information in um, the episode notes. Yeah. So if you all are in the Cary, North Carolina area, you can join. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody. Until next time. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. 
And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.